Welcome to another episode of Quilt Buzz, the podcast featuring your favorite folks from across the Quiltiverse. I'm Amanda of Broadcloth Studio, and I'm joined by Wendy, the weekend quilter. Hey. And our special guest, Victoria of Midlife Quilter. Hello. Now, before we jump into all our quilty fun today, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Victoria? Yeah, I am 44 years old. I live in West Michigan with my two kids. I have a 19-year-old daughter who's an illustration major in college, and I have a seven-year-old son, and I have three pets. I have two dogs and one cat. And of course, my husband lives here too. <laughs> <laughs> so you were introduced to sewing when you were 40, uh, hence the Instagram handle and shop name. Can you tell us how you discovered sewing and quilting? Yes. Yeah, so actually no one in my family did it, but we did have some family friends and people in our church who did it. And I was the very first time I saw a sewing machine in action was when I was going to be the flower girl for my aunt's wedding and I needed a special dress made. And the family friend who was making the dress uh, let me be there while she was making it. And it was like magic. It it sort of imprinted on my psyche and I just longed to learn how to sew with a sewing machine. And before that, did you do like sort of hand sewing? Not really. I did take like a home economics course in seventh grade where I was really hoping we would learn to sew with a machine. And all we did was like a pillow where it was like kind of felted applique. (laughs) So I learned some basic hand stitches through that, but it didn't fulfill that need I had for sewing faster. So how was it going from that um, from that first uh, exposure to garment making to becoming a quilter? Well, when I was 11, I started reading the Anna Green Gables series, and it's my favorite book. And quilting features fairly prominently in the storyline. There's, there's talks of quilting bees or how, how they were making quilts. And It just fascinated me. I loved the idea of making something useful. But what I loved even more was when I would hear about the quilting bees where these communities of women would come together and work on a single quilt to get it finished. And even then, I didn't understand all of quilting. And now that I do understand it, I love it even more because I'm like, how cool would that be to you know, cut piece, everything quilt, an entire quilt in a day with a group of your friends. That would be so much fun. That's all on my bucket list. (laughs) We need to start a quilting bee, I think. (laughs) Yeah, we should. So what was it like learning a new uh, skill as an adult? When you're older, I think, because I bought the sewing machine when I was 40. So on the one hand, I think you're a lot more comfortable with yourself, you're comfortable with knowing you might make a mistake. When I was younger, I was a lot more self-conscious, but it's still intimidating because there's expenses involved with, you know, especially with quilting, you know, it's not just needle and thread. There's a lot to buy as you first learn, but I was really ready to take that risk. 
And it actually is funny because the last time I had tried to learn something new as an adult was when I took this beginner's adult ceramic class. And I had visions of myself like throwing pottery and I was going to make mugs and bowls and vases. And they actually told me I didn't have any talent for it and that I should leave. No, (laughs) they did. And I was horrible, mortified and I was crushed. But um, I was the only person in that class that was an actual beginner and also an actual adult. Most of these were college students who were already in art college and they were taking this to sort of supplement. So the teacher really preferred to spend his time with these students because they were already naturally talented and gifted. And so I, I never even picked up my little mug. I just, I just slinked out of class and never came back. I would have just thrown that mug at that teacher. (laughs) Sorry, but what a Oh, now, now I would have handled it totally different. I would have stayed just out of spite, you know? Oh yeah. That would have been really good. I would have been like, I'm going to make a larger vase tomorrow. Watch this. Yeah. So when it came to quilting, what do you think was the, you know, what do you think it made it a success story? I think what I loved about quilting And I know that maybe somebody's going to say, well, not every mistake can be fixed. And that's true. But the majority of mistakes can be fixed. You know, uh, your seam ripper, if you sew something wrong, you can unsew it. If you cut something wrong, you can recut it. I find that it's challenging enough to keep me on my toes, but it's forgiving enough to make me feel okay with trying new things with it. Do you have a favorite fond mistake from your beginning quilting days? Yes. One of the very first quilts I made, it had uh, borders all along. And I was really tired, but I really wanted to finish this quilt because I knew all I needed was to do these borders and my quilt top would be finished and I could take a picture of it. And I sewed them on and sort of, you know, did the thing where you unroll it to take a good look. And I had sewn the borders on upside down so all my seams were facing up (laughs) oh no and it it wasn't a big mistake and again I could fix it but it was just so disheartening when I had already spent all this time and was looking forward to my quilt top being complete and now I'm gonna have to seam rip this entire border the length of this throw sized quilt and you know re-sew it on it was just it was just a good lesson about stopping when I'm tired. Did you actually continue on and finish the border or you were like, no, forget about it. I'm going to look at it tomorrow. No, I absolutely stayed up late and fixed that. (laughs) I was going to get that quilt done that night for sure. (laughs) Sounds like something that I would have done. (laughs) What, sewing it backwards? (laughs) That and staying up late. You are are a midnight quilter. You shouldn't be the weekend quilter. You should be the midnight quilter. Only recently though. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then I, it's like off tangent, but um, yeah, I stayed up till like 4.30 one morning trying to finish something. <laughs> Sometimes you just get in that zone. I think, I don't think I've ever stayed up that late, but you have to remember, I normally am asleep by 10. 
So one time I think I was up till two in the morning looking at the layout of a quilt that I was making for my nephew. And I was just second guessing myself over and over again. And I kept thinking, just go to sleep, stop looking at it. But I couldn't. I was obsessed. I feel like once you hit that 2 a.m. mark and then go beyond it, it it, it should be fine from there. Like, But then leading up to the 2 a.m., you're wondering, like, why am I still up? I should be in bed right now. Exactly. So we were like scrolling through your Instagram account and uh, we saw that you had a fabric store. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, from your beginnings of, you know, starting off quilting to creating a fabric store? Yes. So when I started quilting, I remember very distinctly the overwhelmed feeling I had when I walked into a big box fabric store and there was, I mean, I don't even know what hundreds of thousands of bolts of fabric and not knowing where to start, not knowing what colors I should use and not feeling like there was anyone I could ask for help. And it really sat with me for a long time. And when I started Quilting, um, this is something that not a lot of people know about me, but I actually have a degree in art history. So I have some knowledge of design and color from my degree. But when I started working out of college, I took a corporate job and, you know, my life took that path in terms of work. So quilting was my first return to that creative side of me. And I ended up realizing this is this is art this is there's some fundamental design and color theories that I should be using to help me and so I started approaching fabric pulls from that standpoint and I stopped looking so much at what other people were doing because I couldn't replicate what others were doing it it just didn't fit with my style and much to my surprise, as I started getting more comfortable and learning about how to use fabric in a quilt to enhance the design of it and still have it be a reflection of me, I started realizing people were messaging me, where can I get that fabric bundle or where can I get that kit? And so I realized that if I was going to ever do this, this was the time to do it. And so I went ahead and took a small amount of money from our personal savings account and did my very first purchase of fabric. And it was really small to begin with, but my shop ended up growing faster than I had expected it to. And when did you um, start shop? I opened my shop in September of 2020. Oh, well, I can imagine that you would have a yeah. lot of orders back then. <laughs> we had what I like to say a captive audience. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, looking back, what is one thing that you think would surprise people the most about running a fabric shop? I think what you would be, what surprised me is the lack of control that you have over your time when you run a fabric shop. When you run a fabric shop, you are at the mercy of orders. So it makes it really difficult to plan your day. You know, you might think, your day is going to look one way and then something happens. Uh, somebody showed up your fabric bundle or your kit and now people want it. And you may end up spending the next three to four hours cutting fabrics for orders. 
So it was very unpredictable. And I never did find a good way to manage that. It was always, it was always kind of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it was a little bit of like being a hamster on a wheel, like kind of just never knowing what was going to happen next, but you just had to keep up. It would have been so encouraging though for people to just message you out of the blue and say like, where can I get that fabric kit though? I mean, it just really shows that you have a great eye and sense of color and design. So <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It, it was really encouraging. I remember I was kicked out of a ceramics class, so I yeah. <laughs> didn't have a lot of confidence and, you know, it, but it was just following my instincts. Uh, then finding and attracting people who liked my style. That was really key in helping set up my shop for success. And what were the first few fabrics that you ordered for your store? I purchased fabrics from Art Gallery Fabrics. And because they are they are my favorite fabrics. I like how they feel and I like a lot of the designers. And Art Gallery is just a very friendly company to small businesses. They don't have a very large upfront order. You know, every, every vendor has different amounts. So our gallery was just a really nice, easy way to start ordering fabrics. And it was easy for me because I was also so familiar with them because I had been using them already for about a year. So in November of last year, you announced that you were going to be shutting your fabric store. Can you kind of talk us through what led to your decision to shut up shop? Yeah. So the main reason was a personal reason. My son was diagnosed with autism level one, which was formerly known as Asperger's. And he also was diagnosed with ADHD. He got the dual diagnosis in February of 2022. And when we got that diagnosis, it sort of turned our world upside down because suddenly um, we realized that Traditional school wasn't working for him. And so we decided since I was home that I would take over and do homeschooling. So that was the first big disruption in my, um, my schedule. But secondly, he had all these doctor's appointments and therapy appointments because early intervention is so key in giving them the proper support. So suddenly I had the hamster wheel going with my business. And I also had these huge life stressors because of course my mind was with my son and, and what could I do to support him? And I found myself really not doing any one thing really well when it came, especially to him, because I was so concerned about making sure fabrics got out on time, making sure that I was still doing what I could to sell these fabrics because when you have a fabric shop, there's a huge investment and you, you don't want to have all this extra inventory. So I started to feel like my priorities were shifting and something had to give. And at that point I had to make the really tough decision that at this point I couldn't put the same, I wasn't going to be able to continue putting the same effort into my shop as I could. And I didn't want to run it in a way that I didn't feel comfortable running it. I, I knew there were probably some things I could do like, oh, well, I can extend shipping times and things like that. But 
even if I wasn't shipping out fabric, it was still in the back of my mind all the time that I had something else I needed to be doing. And I, I couldn't live with that mental division anymore. And it sounds, as you described earlier, the fact that like you couldn't, there's so many things outside of your control within the fabric shop, whether when orders come in and stuff like that, I can only imagine how stressful it must've been. Yes, it, it was, it was really stressful. Um, and so, and I, I didn't want to shortchange my customers and I didn't want to shortchange my son and I didn't want to shortchange myself. When you're being spread that thin, there's not a lot left over for you. And I didn't, I didn't get to be this age to not be happy with how I was spending my time. So looking back, what do you wish that you knew before you opened up your fabric store? I think it is the lack of control in general, but I also wish I had known about myself that I would not have been able to shut it off. I could not compartmentalize it. I, the first thing I did when I woke up was check my orders. The last thing I did when I went to sleep was check my, my orders, check the activity on my website, check Instagram. I I was on 24 seven when it came to my shop. And I feel that that was, I feel like that was the only way I could have run it. But Again, when you have kids or, you know, other things happening in your life, you, it's also very hard to have that single minded focus as well. So even now that you've shut down the store, you know, you still have a ton of experience and a ton of learnings. Um, and you're now offering mentoring services to folks looking to open fabric stores. Can you tell us a little bit more about this, uh, venture? Yes. So I do one-on-one coaching. I don't offer any type of online course because I feel that the question, the sort of questions I was getting a lot actually ran the gamut. So I had some people who simply wanted information about, you know, how do you open an account with a vendor? Others had questions on branding. Others had questions on how do you take good photos of your bundles? So I was getting questions pretty frequently on Instagram via DM. And that's when I realized there is a need for this, especially when it comes to fabric shops. And I was willing and happy to share my knowledge and, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. But also, like, I really enjoyed it. You know, it made. I hope, I hope that still comes across. Like I'm not trying to complain. I real if I could have kept my shop, I would have. I loved it and I really enjoyed it, but it was a lot of work and my life just became, you know, it was just not, it was no longer a good fit, but I really encourage people that if you have an interest in it, learn more about it, go in with your eyes open because that will really hope you feel like you've been set up for success versus when you go in and you you're learning everything as you go. It's already going to be stressful to start a new business. Try to start with some answers. That is so good. I sometimes wish I had that sort of sort of 
sort of consulting or sort of advice because like it, it can feel really overwhelming for someone that's new that wants to create an online store even just sort of set up maybe a Shopify account or a Squarespace like it's it's a lot and even like managing newsletters and whatnot so whatever you're providing to people out there is sounds really helpful <laughs> thank you it's, having a mentor is invaluable and, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason I call it mentoring versus coaching, because I do, I do go into that relationship with the hope that it will be a, a very reciprocal relationship. Uh, you know, I have people who have, who have taken this package with me that I, I still chat with every day, even though technically the mentorship package is over because the relationships, I mean, to me, collaboration is key and, as I mentioned earlier, what attracted me so much to quilting was the community. So it's very true to me to, to do a more one-on-one type of session. You know, it may not be, it might not make the best business sense. There's people who may say, well, you should roll this up and do a course and have people do it on their own time. But what I really crave is the one-on-one relationship that you can make with another quilter. That's so nice because it can be quite lonely, um, especially when you're working on your own and you're working in your own silos and you second guess yourself a lot. So, so yeah, yeah <laughs> I absolutely. mean, my, my buddy. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We text, we text a lot. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> so it feels kind of like we're in the middle of a shift between online retail, you know, with a whole slew of different options of where to buy our fabrics, um, as well as, you know, traditional brick and mortar, local quilt shops um, to, I mean, some people are doing a mix of both. Mm-hmm. What do you think um, from your position of having run a online quilt shop, what do you think the future landscape of fabric stores holds? I think that online fabric shops are here to stay. I feel that even with, you know, now that COVID's over and people, you know, can go back into stores and look, there has been a new standard set with online fabric shops. What I love about online fabric shops is that it does make it, it's not, it's not as overwhelming sometimes because most small fabric shops, especially ones like mine, they don't, they don't have thousands of fabrics for you to look at. So if you can find a shop who's, if you like the quilter style, you like the fabric she's putting together, it's going to make that fabric shopping experience so much easier to navigate. And often they will include that personal service. I, I did a lot of custom bundles when I had my shop. I would curate it based on what they would show me, what they told me that they wanted. And you could get all that without leaving your home, which for someone like me, that's naturally a little bit shy and introverted anyway, I would much prefer that experience. But you're still going to always have that segment of customers who want to shop in person and they want to see it and they want to feel it and they want to have that customer service one-on-one in person. So I, I don't think that brick and mortars are ever going to go by the wayside either because there's also all of us last minute quilters who just need that yard of, you know, yellow fabric or whatever. And we're going to go to the shop down the road. So I think there's, there's room for both. And I think it just depends on your own personal style, how you prefer to shop. 
So when you're mentoring small fabric businesses, uh, do you recommend that they curate or come up with their own style so that they can differentiate themselves among competitors? Yes. It, you. That is one of the most difficult parts, I think, of owning a fabric shop is figuring out what makes you you. What makes your shop different? Because every shop is going to have similar fabrics. You, It's not like you're necessarily going to be carrying something that no one else has. So how do you, what do you do to differentiate yourself? Is it customer service? Do you have stellar photography? Do you have really modern flair to attract people who really want modern bundles? It's really important to figure out what you're selling because you're not just selling fabric. So speaking on fabric bundles, uh, what is your personal secret sauce to pulling together a winning combo? It wouldn't be a secret sauce if I gave away the secret. (laughs) 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 But I'm just joking. That's actually code for I really don't know how I do it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's very instinctive for me. Um, It's it's something that there's a lot of trial and error sometimes. Um, I'm, I can get really obsessive about finding the exact right shade for a bundle and I will not settle for the next shade over. It has to be this exact one. And that is very instinctive for me. However, I do think there's some broad things people can do if they're learning, they want to learn how to curate the, What One of the tips I give that's really, really simple is find a print you like and work backwards. So I, if you have this beautiful floral print that you really want to create a bundle around, then start looking at the colors in it. Does it have reds? Does it have oranges? Does it have blues, yellows? What colors do you want to bring out? And then the simplest way is to simply find solids that go with that. But as you get more advanced, I recommend looking at low volume prints, looking at blenders. And I actually have a blog series on my website called How to Build a Proper Stash, because I believe that it's key to have the right things in your stash if you're going to want to curate a bundle from it. So in my blog series, you can actually, I talk about the different, I talk about prints, I talk about solids, blenders, low volumes, and what you can do to curate a a balanced bundle, because I think that that is what sets a really well curated bundle apart. And what that's what's going to get people stopping in their scroll on Instagram is if you have a really balanced bundle with lots of different textures and colors and scales, you know, so yeah, so I I go more in depth than that. But a simple one is just take a print you love and match up some solids with it. And you're going to come up with a beautiful bundle. So with your fabric store closed and you're offering mentoring services, what's next for Midlife Quilter? Do you have any quilting goals for the year? Yes. So actually what I... I, after I closed my shop, I took a little bit of a break and tried to think about what I could do. And I had a lot of my quilting friends encourage me to look into pattern design. 
So that is the one thing I'm spending a lot of my time on this year is I've started to write some quote patterns and I'm learning all the fun technical stuff of, of writing using Adobe and things like that. But what I, I'm actually finding that I really enjoy it because it works really well with my son's schedule because when I close the laptop done for that day or when I'm done building a block and, and figuring out how to, how to make it, I'm, I can stop. I, I don't have that, that churn in my head like I had with the fabric shop. So it's actually working out really well. And I'm finding that I really enjoy it. On that note, it is time to move on to our rapid fire quilty questions. Are you ready, Victoria? Yes, I am. Okay, Wendy, why don't you take us away? Okay. So what's your favorite time of day to quilt? The morning. And do you wear shoes while sewing? I do. And uh, music, Netflix, podcasts, or the sounds of silence? Silence. What is your favorite traditional block? Sawtooth Star. And if Agnes, your cat, was in your sewing room, what would she be doing? Anything possible to get in the way. And what is your favorite brand of solids and the color from it? I love Art Gallery Fabrics Pure Solids and... I would say my favorite color is sweet macadamia. Solids or print fabrics? Prints. Who is your favorite fabric designer? Sharon Holland. What quilting technique would you like to try out in 2023? Foundation paper piecing. And what sewing notion couldn't you live without? Any specialty ruler. And, <laughs> and wait, uh, wait, 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 which, okay, which, which one, which, which one's the current favorite? I have a half rectangle triangle ruler that Ooh. I cannot live without. Oh, huh. is there like a particular brand that you're using? It is that? one that I purchased from Southern Charm Quilts. And I believe it, the label on it says Havels, H-A-V-E-L apostrophe S. Mm. And... I, I won't, if I have to make any quilt with an HRT in it, I will not do it unless I can find that. I will reorder the ruler if I have to. I will not make one without an, that ruler. I've never tried making those ever. So, and then no, now that you're explaining nonsense. that to me. You have no, made for those. real. Like I have no, it. I don't believe it. I'm going, I'm going deep okay, down on your Instagram. Go, go through all my Instagram posts. Go do that. Go find the receipts. Get the I ruler. Will. It will be so much. I actually am writing a pattern that has HRTs and I'm going to tell okay. everybody, just get the ruler. It, you, it will Just buy the roll. Just buy the ruler. It, it will save you so much grief. And it's a really, a really cool and interesting block to make. So mm. I, it's worth making. But if you don't, I feel if I don't have that ruler, I'm just going to destroy half the blocks I make when I trim them. So. Okay. I, I, I gotta have to have all your wisdom when that <laughs> pen comes out. <laughs> I'll be there for you. Oh, would you do a private Zoom mentor class? I me? would, absolutely. <laughs> so I read somewhere that you can't keep your fabric salvages. So what do you do with them? So far, I haven't done anything with them, but my my goal is to, I want to make like a zipper pouch with them. Oh my God, that'd you know, be just, so cute. Just sew them, yeah, just sew them all together and make a little, 
make a little zipper pouch or maybe a tote bag. I, I want it something that I can carry out that has all the selvages on it. Machine or hand bind? Hand bind. Okay. What's your favorite part of the quilting process? The fabric pull. Sure. What's your least favorite part? Basting. And what's one bad quilting habit you wish you could give up? Not pinning enough. And do you have a quilty BFF? I think I have to say Agnes or she'll probably destroy my my quilts <laughs> after the <this> show. <laughs> and who's your quilty crush? Sharon Holland. I love everything she does. <laughs> and how many quilts are in your whip pile right now? I don't know. I, I, at least at least eight. And do you have any other interests or hobbies? I like embroidery. I'm getting really into embroidery lately. And I love music. I joke that in another lifetime, I probably would have been a DJ. What kind of music in particular? I love all kinds. I I listen to pretty much a little bit of everything. But my favorite thing is I create these playlists. I create like moods, like it'll be like, dinner time or, uh, or sewing, you know, sometimes I don't actually listen to much when I'm sewing, but I just love to like get in the car and put on a playlist and just drive. Are they, um, are they public playlists? No. DJ. I should. It'd be like, there'll be like a seam ripping playlist, you know, for when you're really angry. (laughs) I mean, you know, for the digital or the virtual quilting bee, you got to have a playlist. Yeah. Yeah. But it has to be different moods. You know, it's like when you're excited to start and then like at the end when you're dreading basting like I am. Yep. (laughs) Or like maybe, um, what's it called it? One for like hand quilting or like hand related stuff. Yes. I, I really yeah. feel like it can set music sets the mood and it can enhance quilting for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm sure if you wanted to work faster, you can put some like a bit more upbeat, fancy yes. music. <laughs> I think I'd probably need like Eye of the Tiger when it came to start pin basting. <laughs> it's like you can do it. You can get through this. <laughs> On that, so we have just a couple more questions. Actually, no, we've got one more question for you. And that is, who are three accounts you think everyone should be following and why? Well, considering she's my quilty crush, I would say Sharon Holland. I love everything she does. And her pictures are fantastic. I also love Liza Taylor Handmade. She's a newer designer, but I love her work. And she introduces new techniques. So she has patterns that include FPP or English paper piecing. So it's kind of nice to mix it up and try some new, new skills. And my other one that I love is Sarah Lucille Handmade. She is a great designer, but a lot of her patterns also have Jane Austen themes and her patterns are just so cute because they always tie in with a character or a novel. And as somebody who loved reading those types of books as a teenager, it's there's some nostalgia there for me too. So we need to wrap today up and we hope that you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to contact any of us, we can most easily be found on our Instagram accounts. I'm at Broadcloth Studio, Wendy. 
I'm at the the.weekendquilter. And Victoria. I am at midlife underscore quilter. Or you can go to our podcast account at quilt.buzz or our website quiltbuzzpodcast.com for our previous episodes and updates on upcoming guests. If you enjoyed today's show, we hope that you subscribe to the podcast and tell your quilty friends about us too. And if you have a moment to share what you love by writing a review on your podcast provider of choice, it would make our day. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.